0: Season 2, episode 38. David and Matt party in Montreat, day 2.
1: I'm kind of wanting to go back to what I said yesterday. David and Matt crash the scholars party.
0: <laughs> okay, this
1: is wedding crashers CS Lewis style.
0: Season 2, episode 38. The wedding crashers CS Lewis style. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This was another great day, though.
0: I'm exhausted.
1: <laughs> I am, but I'm not last time. So, listeners, I didn't realize David was going to keep that first stuff in the, the editing. I just was joking. But we were so tired. I just got into bed, didn't really want to record. I'm like, can I just lay down and record this? So we are much more awake, though, today than we were yesterday. I will not
0: quite say much more, marginally. That's true. But we do have our scotch that in, I'm
1: really looking forward to drinking. And our
0: plastic glasses.
1: Yeah, plastic glasses. We're drinking the Vat 69. It's a reminder, it was the scotch that Lewis typically drank. David confirmed with Douglas Gresham that this is the case, one of the scotches that he would drink.
0: But we also found out that when they got scotch, they would typically hide it because Lewis's brother, Warney, was an alcoholic.
1: Yes. And we also learned that Douglas Gresham, as a well-underaged person, would probably steal a drink or two from time to time.
0: <laughs> so with that in mind, cheers. Cheers.
1: It doesn't burn too much.
0: No. And like I say, subsequent sips, it just evens out. It
1: really does. I'm starting to like this a lot. And you can't get this in the States? Nope. Wow. Oh,
0: actually, that's not entirely true. You can get the Vat 69 Gold, but I haven't tried that.
1: Okay. And how many more bottles do you have in San Diego?
0: I have one more.
1: Okay. So that's an excuse for me to come to San Diego.
0: (laughs) All right. So let's talk about today. And I'm actually going to suggest let's start with the afternoon activities and we'll work back to the morning.
1: I like that idea because the morning talk was standing ovation, not only worthy, it actually got a standing ovation. It was incredible. So
0: it was a speech worthy of Aragorn.
1: It really was. And anyone who's listening to this, make sure you stay till the end. That's a hook.
0: So the last talk that we heard was Halpo. He was talking about C.S. Lewis, science and technology, Mm -hmm. which you might not really think of Lewis as a science and technology guy, but he did actually talk about it a lot in his works, particularly things to do with the abolition of man and that hideous strength and the relationship with the modern world to not science, but scientism. The idea that science can tell us is the the only arbiter of truth and can tell us everything.
1: We also learned most of his God in the Dock essays in the first part were all science and religion related. Mm. But what I liked about how Poe, I'm saying that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is... He's becoming a C.S. Lewis scholar, but he's just a science and religion scholar. He's written six or five or six books he mentioned at dinner. I think five. five. Yeah, on science and religion, mm-hmm. not Lewis related. And now he's getting into Lewis, was asked to give this talk. So he knows so much about the relationship between science and religion and then started seeing it in Lewis's work. And so he did a really good job explaining it, being more of an expert on the science itself.
0: Mm. I, my favorite part of the talk was when he started talking about time. And he quoted from Mere Christianity, where Lewis says the idea of God being outside of time, it was first suggested by the theologians, then picked up by the philosophers, and now today by some scientists. So basically the idea that from St. Augustine to Einstein, that God would be outside of time. And this solves a whole load of questions that we, or maybe not solves them, but at least provides an explanation for a lot of questions that we'd have, particularly with regards to God's foreknowledge and predestination and uh, free will. And free will. Yes, exactly.
1: I like that because I had gotten asked that in New York by an atheist. If God has foreknowledge, how do we have free will? And he gave two separate answers, but I actually liked how when he said he used the analogy, and is it in mere Christianity of the line on the paper? Yeah.
0: Lewis doesn't quite say this, but I think it drives the point home. If you put your face down on a piece of paper, like you're a, a schoolboy that's just bored with the lesson, and you draw a line away from you and follow it, that's how we experience time. But God experienced it as though he's looking at the entire page at once.
1: Well, he said, and I don't know if this is, he said, God is the paper. Did he say that?
0: Yeah. No, I do okay. remember him saying that. Or um, at least he's, so he's, pre- at he's present po- in He's at paper. all points of mm-hmm.
1: it, uh, of the time. And so he actually goes, you can't even use the word foreknowledge. It's not foreknowledge. It's just knowledge for God because this isn't as if he's in our place and knows what David's going to do going forward. He just knows what David's going to do because he's at all places. Well, it's not
0: so much foreseeing yes. as seeing.
1: Yes. And so I thought that was an interesting little backdoor twist on words that almost gets you out of the argument right away. But then there's, there's other ways to get out of it too, but... I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. But then we had dinner with him Mm -hmm. and he was sitting right across from us. And he, during the talk, it was funny because we were all really tired. We've had, that was our fifth talk of the day, I think. And he knew we were running out of time and he had about eight more pages (laughs) of his talk to do. So he starts scrolling through his pages and goes, we're going to skip that. We're going to skip that. We're going to skip that. So at dinner, I asked him, so what was one of the big things you, you didn't talk about? And he said miracles and how hume yes i'm remembering this right good i was listening (laughs) hume said miracles are a violation of scientific laws natural laws natural laws the problem was theologians had a hard time refuting that because they accepted that definition and he goes lewis never actually accepted that definition that that is what miracles are he said they're an interference which is a very big distinction of natural laws And we remember for our listeners, if you listen to our Mere Christianity, there's a chapter where he talks about putting the coins in your drawer at night. You close the drawer, your coins are in there, you wake up, you expect them to be there. They're not going to move. The natural laws, those coins cannot move. But then you wake up and the coins aren't there. You wouldn't assume that the natural laws were violated. You would assume a thief came in the night and a higher law superseded those natural laws and moved the coins himself. Well, that's what God is doing. uh, interfering with the natural laws because his law is higher. I actually really liked his example of both the light bulb and the plane. The plane is violating, an airplane taken off is violating a natural law to some degree. It's not truly violating, but it seems like it is because that, that wouldn't normally happen. But he goes, really, instead, something going that fast with that aerodynamics is just a higher order law that's trumping gravity in that case. So I like the way he he described all of
0: that. And he also has some amazing bow ties.
1: Oh, he does. <laughs> Every time I go to weddings, I wear bow ties. Well, I didn't San Diego because it's a perfect place to wear a bow tie. I love bow ties. <laughs> so that was really fun to chat with him.
0: By the way, that stuff about money in a drawer, I think it's actually from miracles, not mere Christianity. Ah,
1: there we go. We talked about it, but you, I could see you bringing it from a different book, in, and then I just thought it was all the same. <laughs> it was also fun. I won't explain what we talked about here, but the same thing with Hal Poe. Next to him was, or next to me, across from him, was Don King, who mm-hmm. is a scholar in Lewis's poetry, but also teaches a course on Till We Have Faces. So I had a lovely time chatting with him about Till We Have Faces for a little bit, and uh Hopefully we'll get a chance to have him on. I should have, I should have just easily dropped and said, don't be surprised if you get an email from me in like a month
0: asking you to be on the show. We're actually already in email contact, so don't worry, that's going to happen. Oh, perfect. <laughs> but yes, he spoke about Lewis's poetry because a lot of people only think of Lewis's prose. But when he was a young man, he really wanted to be a great poet. And even after he laid that down, you see his poetry in his prose. Uh, and somebody else that we got to meet is Kat Coffin. And I only know her through Twitter. And she loves Lewis, and we occasionally have a little bit of sparring matches and, and our differing opinions.
1: Which we learned today as we're going to talk about later. Remember this term? Maybe she's a dyad to you. Maybe she
0: is. <laughs> she's stretching you. That'll uh, make sense in about 10 minutes. But she, she tweeted this. Dr. King believes that three sonnets Lewis wrote towards the end of Joy's life may have been in response to her poetry. He may have read those smutty, wonderful sonnets. We can't prove it, of course, but I sure hope he read them.
1: Yeah, there's a question of whether Lewis had read Joy's sonnets. Joy, for if maybe there's a new listener, but Joy, we don't want to assume, it, is his wife at the end of his life.
0: And Paddy Callahan has written a novelization called Becoming Mrs. Lewis, and in it she speaks about Joy giving Lewis all of these sonnets that she had written over the course of her life in a folder labeled Courage and supposes in the book that she gives them to Lewis. We don't have conclusive proof of that. It's been suggested. Uh, and in that talk, Dr. King offers some of that evidence.
1: Yeah. And then before <clears throat> Dr. King... I'm sorry to cough. <coughs> <laughs> you got to just accept these, David.
0: No. Oh, actually, just checking the schedule, we missed one. Uh, Dr. Jerry Root gave a talk on the surprising imagination of C.S. Lewis. That one was really rich. He yes. drew from all across Lewis's corpus, and including a bunch of stuff I haven't read. So what's what's what we're saying by that is it's difficult
1: to synthesize the big takeaway. The big takeaway is Lewis was so incredible with his imagination that he could turn these stories that we love and know to be, we feel in our hearts. Like He talked about archetypal stories of this idea of these gods entering into creation, and Lewis was able to tap into that really well with his story. So he could convey theological truths, in these stories really well. And he gave one near the end of his talk of Lucy and Aslan talking.
0: Mm-hmm. In and The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is the next book you're going to read.
1: Yes. In, in I haven't read the book, but the way he was describing her reading and then talking to Aslan and then saying, I want to hear this story for the rest of my life. And she was saying, or Aslan responded something like, this is the one story I will tell you into eternity. And then he said, he's referring to the gospel message. So that's an example how Lewis uses imagination to turn the fact that the gospel message is constantly the joy that we want every single day into eternity into an example
0: of a story. And Lewis used the Narnian Chronicles and his other writings to smuggle that through. He actually gave a great example of James Cameron when he was saying that. Yes, he did. James Cameron just keeps, he, he always keeps ragging on Christianity, but all of his movies are basically our story. And he gave the example of Terminator 2, Titanic, the Avatar. In all of these, there is some form of incarnation and some form of sacrifice for the other. In, in, on the Titanic, it's even kind of funny because it's rather on the nose. You have Jack at the front of the boat in a cruciform position shouting, I'm king of the world. Yes. But then I didn't I, – I thought the subtle
1: details, too, of that were uh, – what's what Kate Winslet's name? In it? Rose. Rose, okay. Rose, at the end when she's brought back, is like the 90-year-old person, had said – Jack saved your life, but he was never actually a part of the manifest. Like he wasn't actually a passenger on the boat, technically mm-hmm. speaking. So there's kind of a bit of a symbolism there. Like, was he really there? Was he not? Did he save my life? <laughs> was that she just it? crazy? Was he just crazy? <laughs> and yeah, the avatar, the same thing. I mean, those were great. Which
0: he said literally means incarnation.
1: Yes. And then how you have the person going into the world, saving the world. So this guy, all that to say, there's this archetypal story. That's something I will say that I've learned recently from Lewis, that there's this archetypal story that we're all familiar with, this idea of this God entering into creation um, that's told in other mythologies, and we've learned recently, or I have, that that Lewis knew that, and then it was Tolkien that eventually told him, but with Christianity, it became true. And that's something atheists use to say, look, this idea of a God dying for his people is nothing new, therefore Christianity is false. Chesterton, Tolkien, all agree, no, that's evidence that it's true. If this is something that really happened, this would be on the hearts of, of the created beings, And some would get it more right than others, and one would get it fully right.
0: When myth became fact.
1: When myth became fact.
0: You mentioned Chesterton. He actually quoted Chesterton a bunch. He did. There's one quotation. I'm going to have to look it up. It was something along the lines of, this world will never run out of wonders. The most Want of wonders. Want of wonders, but perhaps wonder. So it's it's more of the the lenses through which we view the world. That's going to be the bit that's going to be defective, not the world. Yes. And if you've, if anyone's read Orthodoxy, it's the same idea he presents in his chapter on the ethics of Elfland. I can't wait to do a pint
1: with Chesterton someday. He is the most quotable human being in the world. <laughs> Never he's... take life for granted, but rather take life with gratitude. We don't need a church that changes with the world. We need a church that changes the world.
0: Yeah, he's also harder. So. yeah, <laughs> And we get it distilled in Lewis anyway. That's true. Uh, <laughs> one other thing that I liked... He began by talking about small and large portions. And he says, So brilliant. If you've you've come to this conference hoping to get a small portion of Lewis, I hope you're disappointed. And if you've come looking for a large portion, I can't remember if he said, I hope you're satisfied.
1: Well, no, he said, if you're coming to get a large portion of God's divine grace or love or the gospel or something like that, it was a Christian thing. Yeah. um, I hope you guys are overly satisfied.
0: Overly satisfied. That's what he said.
1: But he did it, but I'm not going to go through the story, but he did it with the cool setting up about five minutes of of him being a poor person and going in a cafeteria and learning what is getting 31 cents and getting a small portion and then a large portion. It was just a great story.
0: Uh, one line he quoted from Lewis that I really liked because I'm going to steal it and use it in my talk this weekend is uh, Lewis apparently said that most of my books are evangelistic because that's going to be effectively my thesis yeah. when I'm talking about C.S. Lewis Apostle to the Skeptics. I'm going to spend the first part of the talk talking specifically about mere Christianity, the argument for morality, the argument for Christ's divinity. But I'm then going to spend a little bit of time talking about all of his fiction. It's like this was this was no less evangelistic.
1: I did love his story of Hollywood when he got asked to give a talk to Hollywood writers
0: about the... They were um, Disney artists. Disney what, artists. What yes. They were definitely artists. No,
1: they actually they were Disney artists. Uh, I just kind of put that on in Hollywood, but you are correct. Disney artists. And he... It was told that he's supposed to talk about like the artistry and the beauty of Tolkien and Lewis, particularly the Narnia and Lord of the Rings and he but he and he know they know they're Christian but don't really go down that path but in the q and a you can answer any question as is so he's telling it all, and of course it's there's he's he's not getting explicitly into that part, and then his first question is. So Lewis and Tolkien were Christians. Can you speak to that? And then he said every question after that was about the Christianity within those. And, and he told that story because it's a testament to how these these books are such a great work of art that even atheists love them, but they create opportunities for you to talk about Christianity.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's actually something that Crystal Downing said in her talk when she was talking about the purpose of the Wade Center. She works there with her husband. Oh, yeah. And that they have people of different faiths and no faith coming to the Wade Center to go and see the Tolkien and Lewis artifacts. And that is an open door to speak about the gospel.
1: Yeah. I remember when I was reading the first two books of the Tolkien series, Lord of the Rings, and I started telling people I'm reading it. And they said, oh, that's so cool. And I said, do you know how much Catholic symbolism is in there? No, I had no idea. And I would talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking of Crystal, she and Diana Gliatt they did a, um, a panel in the morning. And that was really cool. And Crystal gave her own talk on Dorothy Sayers. And Sayers, she seems to keep coming into my life recently. So I figure I'm going to have to start reading more of her stuff. Uh, I actually bought a book of her poetry.
1: I had no idea that the book... I had read three years ago, roughly, called Gaudi Night or Gaudy Night. Gaudy Night was Dorothy Sayers, mm-hmm. or this Dorothy Sayers.
0: Yeah, she was a mystery writer among many, many other things. Yeah, yes. That's, that's where a, the money was. That's <laughs> such a good book. The, my favorite part of Crystal's talk was when she was recounting some of the letters that were exchanged between her and Lewis, mm. and Lewis had asked her to contribute to some evangelistic tract, some kind of pamphlet. And Sayers seemed to really resist that, and she seemed to have a far clearer grasp that she's producing beautiful art, and that will do the evangelism.
1: Yes, she said, um, good work is Christian work.
0: Yes, and and I'm going to have to look it up. I will post it on the website, or it'll be a Quote of the Week at some point soon. She said something along the lines of, I'm not going to go to the son of the carpenter and say, okay, the wood's kind of green, the the joins don't quite work, the the glue's not very good, but it's church furniture. As though simply because something is for a Christian use, it's okay to make it terrible. I mean, how often do we think about that in terms of movies? It's like, oh, it was a pretty terrible movie. The acting wasn't very good. The soundtrack was bad, but it's a Christian movie. That's why
1: uh, I won't go down that path. (laughs) Never mind. <laughs> we'll Every listeners right. now like what is he about to say? <laughs> I'll say I'll say thirty seconds on it. I, re- I read a review of the Halo app and it said um, Halo, By the way, that's the one we recommend: H A L L O W. And it said. I can't believe I have to pay for this. Prayer should be free. And I'm thinking to myself, content doesn't grow on trees. And you're competing as an app for attention of everyone, atheists as well. And so to make a good, high-quality content costs money. So I wrote a review right after reading that, completely addressing that guy (laughs) for them in a pretty intense way. Like, are you kidding me? If this is a free app, it's going to be crappy content. No one's going to do anything. The user interface is going to suck. And that's why you're paying.
0: And also prayer is free. But if you were, say, wanted to read a really good book on prayer, say, The Imitation of Christ yeah. by Thomas à Kempis, it, are you naturally going to expect that and every other book on prayer to be free? Yeah. No, somebody spends some time and effort into this to make it something really good. Yeah, these people
1: gave up their full-time jobs making really good salaries, because I know them all, in consulting and banking, to make this app.
0: <laughs> As simple would say, the worker deserves his wage. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that rant aside, (laughs) let's let's talk about the first talk Mm. of the day. And it was just so good.
1: We should also preface this with our dinner conversation.
0: (laughs) Well, we mentioned in the previous episode that we were instructed that we had to be front and center.
1: I forgot we mentioned that.
0: Yeah, we had to be front and center because Matt had bombarded her with so many questions. Uh, he then said, I don't think I need to go to your talk tomorrow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she said, oh, yes, you do. You've got to be
0: front and center. <laughs> so I took a picture from our seat and tagged her on Facebook so she knows that we were there just in case she was looking over our heads in the back.
1: Oh, I was making some smiley co- eye contact with her. That sounded really creepy. Stop flirting with everyone, Matt. That sounded really creepy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so her talk, it was about Lewis, Tolkien, and the Inklings. Oh. And... She basically retold particularly Tolkien's story and his relationship with Lewis. And it was peppered full of just some wonderful, crazy facts. Like Tolkien had, had learned 10 languages before the age of 20 and invented four. In, and then she, she made sure it was very
1: clear. Not just words and vocab that you can throw in. Full, speak-worthy, grammar, regional dialect languages.
0: And that there are even conferences where people will go and discuss these things in those languages.
1: The way she said it, though, is conferences about Tolkien's language where they present on his language in his language.
0: (laughs) Nerd alert.
1: (laughs) (laughs) David got a few chuckles when he said that out loud. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And how – because Tolkien, he worked on several entries in the Oxford English Dictionary. And so whenever he was in an argument with somebody about the definition of a word, he would say, stop, stop. I wrote the Oxford English Dictionary. <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs>
1: yeah. In fact, I wrote that word's definition. <laughs>
0: uh, but she talked about the similarities between Lewis and Tolkien and also their differences, and particularly in their journey to faith. She read De Profundus, which is one of Lewis's poems that's just brutal. It's, I wrote that down. Let us, let us curse God before we die.
1: Which is interesting, though, because this was before he was a Christian, and he's mentioned even before he was a Christian – he was somewhat inconsistent with his beliefs because he didn't believe in God, yet...
0: Was very angry with God for not existing.
1: Yes, and you saw that in this poem. Now I get it. I mean, holy
0: cow. And she went through some of these similarities and differences, and what was quite funny is with with some of these, I couldn't help but think of the two of us, of Daniel and Phil on their podcast, that, that, that there naturally does seem to be in these kinds of ventures a pairing of people with some similarities, but also some very distinct differences. So, for example, Tolkien took great care in his appearance, whereas we're readily told that Lewis looked kind of like a scruffy farmer. He dressed like a student. Yep. And uh, this this morning, this is one of the perks. Tolkien was skinny. Yeah, Lewis Tolkien was skinny. Was fat. Well, he was stout. Yeah. He was stout. And uh, Lewis was tall, he was short. Yeah. But regarding their presentation of themselves, personal grooming, uh, this is one of the perks of sharing a room with Matt I get to see our our different grooming techniques do
1: you have any grooming techniques no I'm I'm, I'm, <laughs> t- I'm absolutely
0: Lewis it's like I went into the shower I washed my hair it'll it'll do its own thing
1: just to be clear so people don't think Mike I don't have many grooming techniques here
0: sure sure (laughs) i've put enough of a suggestion in there everyone else can just fill in whatever they think is amusing (laughs) i did
1: enjoy though when they talked about lewis's very boisterous personality Mm -hmm. uh, booming voice booming voice
0: robust sense of humor that was a phrase i wrote down
1: yeah and tolkien was not he was very narrow of interest a lot less a lot less sympathetic because of his narrow
0: interests a a little bit of a stutter a little everything is a by the way
1: yes Honestly, as I see this, it's almost like he is the type one who only thinks they're good if they're, uh, only thinks they're loved if they're good slash perfect. He strikes me as that.
0: Mm, uh, if you haven't guessed, Matt has recently done uh, some study on Enneagram. So I'm going to talk about that in
1: another episode. He's,
0: he's, trying, to, he's trying to categorize everybody.
1: Yeah. I, I'm going to talk about that because this last, it was from the quarterly retreat that you guys have heard me talk about once a quarter. <laughs> it was great stuff.
0: Now, in the second part of Diana's talk, it was all about their collaboration. Remember when they met? Oh, good point. Yes. <laughs> we wow, have first
1: we, of all, I said that like a little child. David, can we talk about when they met? Yes, Matthew,
0: we can. Oh, thanks, Dan. Uh, yeah. I have given this as a quote of the week before, but go for it. You tell the story.
1: Yeah, it just told it really well because I guess, so they have writings from Lewis when they met, and Tolkien didn't write anything, which was first – assume that maybe Lewis just didn't rub Tolkien in any way. And Lewis was a nobody at the time. He was new. Tolkien was about five years ahead of him, had a bit of a brand already. Mm-hmm. And so Tolkien didn't write anything. Lewis wrote something along the lines of like, nice chap. This, this is in his diary. This is his diary. You know, met Tolkien, nice chap, blah, 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 but could use a good smack. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly he was a bit either arrogant or overly confident in his belief narrow ways. But I like that. Could use a good smack?
0: I think that's true for most people.
1: Yeah. I always think of that with David. You know, what? you could use a good smack. <laughs>
0: uh, well, speaking of good pairings, in the second part of the talk, she spoke about the dyad, the idea of having at least two, two figures that complement each other in their collaboration, but also in their differences. And she gave some other examples like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Steve Jobs, Uh, the Wozniak guy. mm -hmm. Uh, The Wright brothers and uh, even some fictional ones like Holmes and Watson.
1: Yes. But her her whole point with that was that these people have really strong differences. And in fact, if you meet a lot of them, and she actually said this about Tolkien and Lewis, and you didn't know they were friends and you were like a fly on the wall watching some of their conversations – you might think that they were enemies, that they hated each other, <laughs> because the way they view the world, approach the world, was so different, and yet they were so strong-willed. You would get in some pretty aggressive, intense arguments. I envisioned Steve Jobs and Wozniak getting like th- at each other's throats, but because you respect the other person's intelligence it's like I know they're just seeing the world differently from me and there's a lot of truth in what they're seeing and us together is a better dynamic duel than just my more narrow view, which is still probably right, but just partially
0: right. And Lewis even says in The Four Loves that close friends, it's not necessarily that they have to agree about the same thing, but they value the same thing. Yes, Because both
1: Lewis and Tolkien, they for example, they got in an argument about... Was it like how explicit you bring Christianity into mm-hmm. the writings? They, yeah, they couldn't agree. Yeah, and but they both both love Christianity and agree in evangelizing. It was just how do you do that? What's the What's the means to the end? But the same end.
0: And then she walked through some progression in their relationship that they would meet on Mondays in Tolkien's rooms and then go to the Eastgate Hotel for lunch, and that happened for about a year until Tolkien. We, d- we don't have the the uh, the description of what happened, but she yeah. presented it beautifully as to how she imagines it in her mind of him asking Lewis to read the story of Baron and Luthien.
1: Which is a very, first of all, the reason she acted out somewhat in like a, a timid Tolkien asking, which you wouldn't think now in hindsight because he's such like a big weight. Letting someone in to read a work in progress mm-hmm. is a really scary thing. Like if this is my first pass at something that I'm passionate about, but I know it's pretty flawed, and I give it to David to read, I'm gonna be scared of some critiques. What if he says, "Matt, this is not good"? <laughs> that that's what he did. He he invited Lewis in at that level,
0: and Lewis dashed off a quick response saying how much he'd have loved it. That he'd have loved yeah. it if if this was just some anonymous a thank you awesome. response. Yeah,
1: a thank you response, like thank you for the gift of me being able to read this.
0: And after dashing off this quick note, just singing its praises, he added a bit, saying further comments, including quibbles about individual lines will be forthcoming. And then I think it was a few weeks later, he then sends him 14 pages of quibbles about words, lines, suggestions, and even rewrites part of it.
1: She said rewrites great sections of it. Imagine Lewis rewriting great sections of Tolkien. I just can't stress that enough.
0: But the fact is this was this was the collaboration that the that the two of them had,
1: and she said Tolkien appreciated the second letter even more than the first letter, mm-hmm. even though the first letter was all praise
0: and then, in the final part of the talk, you know we've been we've been hearing the story about Lewis and Tolkien, and then about their own collaboration, how they influenced each other. But then the final part of the talk just took it home.
1: Oh, it was incredible because we talked about how that concept of dyad these differences. She goes, what was so important was their differences allowed them to expand their point of view, challenge each other, critique, stretch them, embrace the uncomfortable. So she's now starting to get into this part where she's just sharing the importance of differences and it's starting to inspire you and you're not expecting this. And then she connects it to Tolkien, the fellowship of the ring and talks about look how different the the individuals in the Fellowship were. You've got Gandalf. And she had an image up, first of all. So you've got this image that was really iconic.
0: And, it, yeah, it was. I've described it as like an Eastern Orthodox icon in terms of yes. the, the figures are quite stark. And because they're stark, you see their real differences. Yes,
1: the stark is a great word. So you've got Gandalf standing way above everyone. You've got <laughs> the hobbits that are small. You've got the dwarf that looks different. You can see Aragorn, Legolas setting apart. And you realize how greatly diverse the Fellowship of the Ring really was which is a testament to Tolkien on his celebration of diversity. And then she connects it to the church and mm-hmm. how in Scripture you have the verse.
0: Ephesians 4.
1: Ephesians 4. And you also have that 1 Corinthians of the body and we're all one mm-hmm. church but many members. And so you've got these different verses. And what's the Ephesians 4, by the way? It, it's, it,
0: they're, they're, they're sort of parallel parallel okay. verses. They're about the same thing that you can't that the eye can't say to the, to the foot. Perfect. And, the, and there are many g- gifts and one giver.
1: Yes. And so you're getting this historical account of Lewis that you're enticed in and Lewis and Tolkien, the relationship. And then all of a sudden she switches to this. It's not a switch, but it was subtle progression. And you just felt like you walked away from the inspirational speech about how one, I want to surround myself with a diverse group of friends that challenge me, stretch me and celebrate that diversity. And you're like, Whoa, what just happened?
0: And i actually read her book Bandersnatch a little bit earlier this year. And that was one of the inputs to actually start another group in San Diego an Inklings group where we're just going to meet at the pub and people are just told, bring something that you've read that you want to read and that you really love. Yes. And I'm sure we're going to get the whole gamut of stuff.
1: And then you have to, you have to stress to people to critique and be open to that critique Mm and to be uncomfortable and to live in that state of uncomfortability because that means you're growing. I even was thinking as I'm listening to this, oh, you know, I'm starting a business. Okay. I want to make sure I build a team of executive team and executive committee that challenge, I have a difference of views. And that's actually really hard to do. Mm -hmm. So she does this, we're all thinking this, and then boom, she finishes standing ovation. There was only a well half, well-deserved. Well deserved. There was only a half one for another person. Like this wasn't something the group was just throwing out to the scholars. Mm-hmm. And it was well-deserved. And, oh, I mean, it was amazing. We
0: are getting her on the show, needless to say. We both really enjoyed that. So then
1: David, you know, don't don't let anyone tell you David's just a cold-hearted human being. <laughs> he goes off to the bathroom, grabs himself a little bit more coffee right when she finishes the talk. There's only like a two-minute break. He comes back and he bought me her book and it's signed because he was astute enough to recognize that after that talk, everyone was so impressed they were going to go buy her books that were there. Of course, you can get online, but you couldn't get like the signed one there. And sure enough... I think we heard 30 minutes later her book was completely sold out. Everyone went after the talk. So David was smart enough to front run that, and he (laughs) got it for me. So now I have a signed copy
0: of her book. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is sometimes kind of sneaky.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, David, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Then I thought to myself, Matt was the opposite of David, not astute enough. David pointed out this book in there that was um, more of an ancient historical covered book of one of Lewis's and he said, because I, I asked him, like, what, what of these books would you buy? And he pointed out, this one's pretty cool. And I was like, I'm going to get him this later. It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Matt was not astute enough to think through about that. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I, know it was gonna. I didn't think many people were going to buy these things. But I forgot you've got the most passionate fans all in one place. And mm-hmm. sure enough, half the book's already sold
0: out. A lot of nerds.
1: The signed Lewis copy of Screwtape Letters, that was $6,000. is no longer in there. Shoot, I was going to buy that.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) close. So close. (laughs) Just looking for an ATM. Yeah. Well, that was day two. We've actually got one more uh, talk, which is happening in about two minutes with Douglas Gresham, talking about the adaptation of Lewis's works to the silver screen. And uh, we might try and get in one more of these tomorrow. It might have to be exceptionally quick because we're finishing midday. Yeah. But that was day two. And... We're absolutely loving it.
1: Yeah, we hope you guys got something from that. We know these are obviously different. Uh, we know maybe some of you are dying for our seasons to start back up because it's been a while. It's soon, been, soon. Soon, very soon. So if you're someone who really likes the going through the chapters, that's going to be starting soon. Um, but we appreciate the patience on that, and we hope you guys got something from this and that you felt a bit uh, a part of it.
0: Yes, and hopefully come and join us at a conference soon because I've been giving out stickers and coasters left, right, and center. It pays to come and say hello to me at the moment.
1: Yeah, let's start. Uh, if anyone wants to respond to us on Twitter or uh, social media and put some bets in until how long David is invited to speak at one of these conferences,
0: <laughs> Nah, no, I, I give it two years. I don't know. It's not going to happen. I'm I'm going to be too busy on this podcast. I've got too much other stuff to do.
1: Well, it'll be different because you can tell everyone here. First of all, has been scholars for oh my goodness twenty yeah. thirty years. So yeah, I feel we, I feel so dumb. Yeah, so do I. But <laughs> I'd imagine that you know they got ten spots. They want to say. Lewis being brought to the modern age—that would be the talk that you give, and it would just yeah—you don't need twenty years of.
0: They should just have a different track, like a kid, a kiddies a kiddies pool.
1: <laughs> don't sell yourself, sword, David. You're a t- tremendous slouch.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Do you know what that movie that's from? No. Huh, Caddyshack.
0: Oh, God, my goodness. I haven't seen that in years. Uh, anyways. Of all them, if you see so few movies. Okay, that is a great that's, movie. <laughs> that's the one you see. Your honor, your honor. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, everybody, uh, hopefully you'll be able to join us tomorrow when we're going to do a very quick episode just summarizing the, the last half day of the conference. When we'll we be going further up. In, further in. Cheers. Cheers.